Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we conclude our series, Wisdom Matters, with a message titled, The Banquets of Folly and Wisdom. So let's turn in our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 to 18, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. I don't know if you like going to banquets. I mean, I sometimes do, sometimes don't. You know, I love them when they're about something significant. I remember one where we raised money for a large quantity of Bibles in a nation that didn't have them. And what made that event remarkable is that there were in that room a great many people who came from that country. And after the banquet, one such person approached me and said, I didn't know how much you cared about us until right now. So I treasure that moment. And that banquet remains in my memory as one of the most significant banquets I've ever attended. But I have one banquet I remember that was just the opposite of what I've described. By the time I was done, I realized I'd been invited to a sales presentation. Once I realized that, I was looking for an excuse to get out the door as fast as I could. Proverbs chapter 9 is the last introductory chapter in the book of Proverbs. It's the story of two banquets, one put on by Lady Wisdom and the other put on by Lady Folly. Each one has put out a banquet, and each banquet is significant. That's because it's a special banquet that will set the stage for the course of a human life. Now, I've been searching for an illustration to help us imagine the two banquets, so let me try one. Imagine you've been asked to attend a very elite banquet. The only people there are graduates of an elite college or university, and the ones attending are at the very top of their graduating class. The banquet is being put on by one of the world's leading companies in a given field. And and the purpose for the banquet is twofold. It's informational, but it's also invitational. Knowing you're the best in your field and knowing that this company is the leader in their field, you're now being told that your chance of advancement in this company is excellent and that your salary is going to be extremely competitive. It's the industry standard. And so you come to the banquet to listen and to make a decision as to whether or not this will be your career. Now imagine going to a banquet just like that. It would be exciting and you'd be hanging on to every word, careful you didn't miss one bit of information that you need to make your consideration. Your next 20 years and longer are at stake in what you decide. Now we have to think about two banquets or the two invitations in these terms. But unlike the illustration that I've just given, the banquets in question are not given to the elites in their field. They're they're given for the simple and whoever lacks sense. And so the room is full of people inexperienced in making life choices and those given to being confused as to how life choices are made. And you go to the banquet and you soon discover that the banquet has a main speaker. You know, in the case of Lady Wisdom, the description given to her is more extensive. You know, in contrast, Lady Folly doesn't need much of a description because her character is largely empty. Indeed, you might wonder whether Lady Folly even has a banquet, for she's simply pictured as inviting people to turn into her house. But because the two women are pictured in such a way as to contrast each other, it seems very likely that the house of Lady Folly is also a banquet. And in each case, the woman is giving a speech just like the banquets that you've attended that have a speaker. And in each case, what's at stake is as significant as the example that I've given you about going to a company recruiting banquet. What you choose is going to determine your life. 
But before we get into that, what do we make of the banquets? Wouldn't it be interesting if at some point in our lives, early in adulthood, we were all invited to attend banquets that will determine our lives? What I mean, you know, it's a formal event. You know, in most cases, it's not so. I mean, people simply carry out in their lives. But the point is that even if we have begun in life, the invitation to a banquet is still being made. So let's start with the Banquet of Lady Wisdom. The introduction has her making preparations for the meal, Proverbs 9, 1 to 3. Wisdom has built her house. She's hewn her seven pillars. She's slaughtered her beasts. She's mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Now, instantly we see this is so much more than an invitation to a banquet. I mean, long before that event, there was the building of her house. We noticed it has seven pillars, which are supporting pillars to a grand building indeed. And we have to imagine her house is stately, large, one that has more than enough room for many guests. I mean, seven, that's the number of perfection. And so the house that she built is perfect for what she intends. Now, does the house that she built represent anything? Well, back in chapter 8, Proverbs says that God used wisdom to create the world. Indeed, before he began to create, he called wisdom forth. Now, all of these, I think, are intended images. So what's this house? Well, it could be easy to come up with all manner of theories, but I think that might result only in wild speculation. I think the best way to think about this house is the structure that wisdom has created in which she can teach the simple, the gullible, the foolish of the human race. That structure, as we've seen in this book, is the structure of a family where wise parents informed by God's word are teaching their own children. But I suppose we might also think that the church of Jesus is also the place where we were taught the fear of the Lord and where the gospel is proclaimed and where men and women learn to submit their wills to the will of him who both created and redeemed them. I mean, after all, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 teaches us that the gospel itself, although it's judged foolishness by many, is in fact the wisdom of God. And so from Proverbs chapter 9, I think it's safe to say that the house that Lady Wisdom builds are the divine institutions that God uses to impart wisdom to the human race. And we also notice that in our introduction, the Lady Wisdom is getting the food ready. And in the ancient world, whenever a large structure was completed, a banquet was often called as a way of dedicating the building. But here in our image, Lady Wisdom has a number of young women who serve her, and they're called to go to the highest places in the town and to invite people to the banquet. As for the identity of the young women, we have to imagine them going out inviting young men to come. But they're not temple prostitutes. Rather than inviting men to come to bed, they're inviting men to come to school. Come and learn and have your life changed. And so we come now to the invitation itself. What is it that these young women sent out by Lady Wisdom say to the people at the high places or the important places in the town? Proverbs 9, 4 to 6. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come eat my bread and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live. Walk in the way of insight. And we have to picture these young women walking in the places where people gather and she makes an invitation. You can hear them calling. Is anyone out there simple? Is anyone gullible? Is anyone naive and credulous and easily swayed by the appeals that end up damaging their souls? If that's you, turn in, 
come to the house of Lady Wisdom. She's holding a banquet. She has bread for you to consume. She also has wine. And when I read that, I'm reminded of Isaiah 55, 1 to 3. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. That's the call of God. He has something that no one else can offer. God has something to offer us. And we get a similar offer again in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. See, that's an evangelistic appeal to come Take the invitation to the eternal life that is offered in the celestial city of God. You can't pay for this, but God, who is rich in mercy, provides it to whoever will come. The Bible is filled with invitations, and even though our fallen hearts may reject those invitations, they're offered up nonetheless. And so when you read this invitation in Proverbs, read it in the light of the many invitations that God makes to the fallen sons and daughters of Adam. Why would you die? Why would you eternally perish? As in the case of Proverbs, why would you carry on in simple ways, come to a free banquet in which you're offered the ways of insight? In short, if you come to this most important banquet, the foolish ways will be laid aside. You know, the real question we need to ask at this point is why anyone would turn down such an offer. I suppose someone might say the offer is too good to be true. That is, they simply don't believe that wisdom can deliver on what she promises. But here we see that it is wisdom that makes the offer. And the reason that we might turn it down must be different. Why would someone turn down the offer to be wise? You know, in the next section of this book, we're going to discover what's at stake. Back to the Bible Canada's mission is to provide Bible teaching you can trust in every medium possible, to break down any barriers from spending time in God's Word. So check out all the Bible resources available online, video, print, radio, podcast, and CD. And it's our prayer that anybody who tunes in finds encouragement in their spiritual journey. We want to guide you back to your Bibles. All of this is made possible through the faithful support of our listeners. If you would like to make a financial contribution to this ministry, or even consider blessing us with a reoccurring monthly gift to help propel the Word of God across Canada and beyond, just call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebiblecanada.ca. And thanks so much for your support. Wisdom never corrects certain kinds of people. I mean, Jesus spoke about that. Do you remember what he said? Matthew 7, verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Don't argue with someone who loves to argue. Don't dispute the faith with someone who loves to mock. Don't give dogs what is holy. That's key. 
So let's return to our next section in Proverbs, which is a section about the consequences that come from sharing principles of wisdom with people who despise wisdom. Proverbs 9, 7 to 9. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abused, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. Notice in what we've read that there are three statements about what happens when you correct a scoffer. First, you're going to be the subject of abuse. That is, the scoffer doesn't learn. Rather, the scoffer defends his position and turns it around against you. Second, the scoffer will injure you. That might mean physically striking you, and of course, that is a real possibility, but it also might mean that he will use any means possible to do you harm. And third, the scoffer will become your enemy. That is, there'll be no avenue for reconciliation. And so for those three very good reasons, it's counterproductive to show a scoffer the error of his ways. Many people don't understand that. They spend their time trying to reason their way through to a scoffer only to suffer harm. So here's the question. Why is this passage written down here? I mean, why the sudden interruption from the call of wisdom to come to her banqueting house to this sudden advice not to correct the mocker? I think the answer is that there's a vast difference between the gullible, the simple, the person who lacks sense, and the person who's the mocker. There's every reason to invite the simple person to come to the house of wisdom because they might acquire wisdom but the mocker is beyond reach. It's an important lesson to learn, especially for those who take the call to share their faith seriously. We want, if we can, to share the faith everywhere, but there's a point in sharing the faith with the person who mocks that's a no-go. There's nothing to be gained. There's no advantage in calling mockers to fear God. The wisdom of Proverbs seems to indicate that mocking is a stance. It's a way of life. It's irreversible. On the other hand, if you reprove a wise man, he won't hate you, especially if the rebuke is well-considered and righteous. The righteous are humble. They seek to learn and grow. The mocker doesn't. Very well, at this point, we learn why the mocker can't or won't or refuses to respond to wisdom. Verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. I know that this is one of the most famous verses in the Bible, but notice, if you will, is a Hebrew poetry here. It's called Hebrew parallelism. It's a kind of poetry where you state the same truth, not once, but twice. And on the second occasion, you use different words meant to give you a greater insight into what was said. And so the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of the Holy One, those two phrases, well, they're intended to say the same thing. That is, if one comes to know God, then to know him as the Holy One, one also fears him. One stands in reverence of him. Now then the phrase, the beginning of wisdom, and the phrase insight, again, that expresses the same truth. Wisdom is insight. Wisdom is understanding the true nature of something. And here's the truth. Until you fall on your face before God and you acknowledge that he's worthy of worship, And then like Isaiah the prophet say, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Until you humble yourself and acknowledge that God is God and that you're not God. Until that's our response to our creator. We'll not gain insight into the nature of things and the insight into their meaning, their value, and of living a life that leads to eternal success. 
It's the wise man that falls before God. It's the mocker and the fool who finds that to be an uninteresting proposition. Verses 11 and 12. For by me your days will be multiplied, and yours will be added to your life. If you're wise, you're wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. Remember, this is Lady Wisdom. She's inviting the simple and the gullible to come to her banquet. She's motivating them to come, and in her final appeal, it's based on self-interest. You may choose to be wise, or you may choose to be a scoffer, but it's not God who's affected by that. You are. You will shorten your life, or you'll lengthen your life. You're going to add grief to your life, or you're going to bring joy to your life. You'll bear the consequence of either accepting the invitation of the banquet of wisdom or by rejecting it. Now then, we've heard from Lady Wisdom, but it turns out she's not the only one going through town issuing an invitation. Another woman is also there. She's Lady Folly. But instead of building a house and preparing a banquet and sending out maidservants with invitations, this woman simply sits on an elevated throne at the opening of her house. She calls out and she attempts to seduce passers-by. So let's begin by describing her. Proverbs 9, 13 to 15. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat at the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. You'll remember that Lady Wisdom has been not only building her house, but ensuring that the feast to be given to her guests is satisfied. But Lady Folly, she's not engaged in feeding her guests. She's both loud and seductive. In short, she's unrestrained. She is, how shall I say it, low class. She's going after the same group of people that Lady Wisdom is inviting. She takes her seat in the highest places, at the places of prominence, the places that engage the interests of people, and she's calling out. People are passing by. They have something they need to do. Perhaps it's you know business, family commitments, future plans. But in the middle of life's pursuits, she takes her place, and like Lady Wisdom, she's looking for converts. Now, what does her invitation look like? Remember the invitation of Lady Wisdom? She says, whoever is simple, turn in here. Come eat my bread, she says, drink my wine. Now listen to the invitation of Lady Folly, verses 16 and 17. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. (laughs) Now it's clear that both Wisdom and Folly are calling out to the same potential customer base. But rather than offering the food she has prepared for her banquet, that is bread and wine, this woman is offering stolen water and bread eaten in secret. And since the invitation of the two women sounds so similar, we're well served to ask, what causes one person to go to the house of wisdom and to the other to go to the house of folly? And the answer is that the one who evaluates his lifestyle finds himself to be simple evaluates his lifestyle as foolish and wishes to turn from that, will go to the house of wisdom. But think instead of the person who's wise already in their own eyes, that person, when they are tempted, immediately abandon the way of righteousness. They see no value in the cost of attaining wisdom. They find perverse delight in the woman folly because she's serving a stolen meal. Hey, she's had it over on someone. I like that. He finds stolen water to be sweet. He wants to emulate that. Now we come to the final verse about the banquet that's sponsored by woman folly, verse 18. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Here's the truth about folly. It's based on half-truths. 
Behind the sensual delight of the bank which she offers, there's a final outcome. It's the basic truth about the way of folly. Folly lives for the moment. Folly revels in the fact that you can get advantage over someone today. Folly says, let us eat and drink and let tomorrow take care of itself. And the obvious flaw in that way of thinking is that tomorrow does come. It will not delay. The day of the present advantage, the advantage of mocking others, of taking advantage of them, of flouting one's own superiority, of leaving behind a string of ruined relationships, all of this has advantages for the moment. And do not consider that this is a highway that leads to Sheol, to the land of the unrighteous dead. In Proverbs, a fool is a person who possesses two character flaws. First, fools are ignorant and don't seek to address that it's a problem. And second, fools are arrogant who feel no difficulty in mocking things they don't understand. The reward of folly is that the fool looks so confident and superior. Lady Folly offers all of that. In contrast, wisdom in the immediate seems inferior. It begins with humility, not pride. It kneels before God and confesses sins and calls on him for mercy. Wisdom will gladly forego the present reward in favor of the one to come. And so the wise may go without. They will deny themselves in the present moment, but they consider the final outcome. And so what about you? Which banquet will you attend? But as you decide, ask yourself, how valuable is that long-term outcome of the matter? Thanks so much, John. It was a wonderful series. You know, when I think about wisdom, though, I think some people sort of err on the side of thinking, well, wisdom is given to those that have the gift of wisdom. But really, it's available to all who pursue it, isn't it? It sure is. You know, the book of James has often been called the New Testament book of wisdom. So it is in the New Testament what Proverbs is in the Old Testament. And sometimes people read James incorrectly when they say, if anyone lacks wisdom, remember James says that, let him ask of God and he will give it. And so we assume, therefore, it's just going to drop out of the sky. Boom, I have it suddenly. It's like in a split second. But that's not what James tells us at all. He tells us about the decisions that we need to make and the things that we need to learn exactly as Proverbs does. So again, we're back to this very basic ideal. Learn the principles of wisdom. Learn them well. Thanks, John, and thanks for the series. And remember to join us again next week right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Our society is filled with hustle and noise. Everyone is in a rush to go and do. We always are striving to be productive, and too often we carry this flustered spirit into our faith. But what if God was looking for our presence and not just our productivity? God wants us to know Him intimately. This requires time, time to be still and silent with Him. So, in response, back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld have created a new 30-day devotional entitled Quiet Spaces, Volume 2. This is the next installment of the original Quiet Spaces devotional. This is your opportunity to take a moment in the Word, a quiet space for God in your day. So we want to send you this resource, Quiet Spaces, Volume 2, for free this month by just calling us at 1-800-663-2425 or visiting backtothebible.com. 